From BYU Broadcasting's Performance Studio, this is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. This is not a Christmas show, but it feels like Christmas to us because we have a great big package to unwrap, and inside we know there's gospel and there's country and there's rhythm and blues and rock. Let's just call this Americana, and we've got some music royalty here today in the people, the persons of Larry Campbell and Teresa Williams. It's guitars and vocals today. Larry Campbell's been one of the most in-demand musicians and producers in Roots Rock, backing up Bob Dylan, Jackson Brown, Paul Simon, Willie Nelson, and many more. His wife, country and blues singer Teresa Williams, has worked with Emmylou Harris and Mavis Staples. We're most excited that they have finally done an album together. It's released. It's a self-titled debut album that made a lot of different top ten lists when it was released. Here's the review we like best. This was Elmore Magazine. They didn't beat around the bush. They just said, you would be making a big mistake by not buying this album immediately. I've never really seen a review like that. So we're going to open our package of Americana today with uh, Teresa Williams, Larry Campbell. They got married on land in Tennessee that's been Teresa's fam- in Teresa's family for seven generations under a tree planted by her great-great-grandmother. All I can say is, aww. That is sweet. That's sweet. After years of touring separately, now it's the best, Larry said, because you're doing the thing you love most with the person you most want to be with. Here's a song all about that. This is the first track from their new album. It's called Surrender to Love. Show me what you're trying to say 
Campbell and Teresa Williams. That's the first track on their brand new album. Uh, we just heard Surrender to Love. And you can check that out on YouTube. There's a nice rockin' version with uh, the whole band and the electric guitars and everything. But you two are generating plenty of energy with a couple of acoustics. Larry, thank you for coming with today. Thank you. Thanks and for having us Teresa, here. glad to have you. Glad to be here. So we read that that song is about your romance. But, but that... that <laughs> It also reminded you, Teresa, of your parents' love. You said they've got a relationship that still has that spark 60 years on. Yeah, they fight like cats and dogs, but then the, <laughs> the, the big black storms blow over, and then we're all rolling in the floor laughing in the next minute, and you definitely can see the spark in them both of why they ever got together, and... Um, they're 80 and they're going strong. I should have my mother. I should be 80. I'm telling you, they're still growing their own garden and canning and harvesting. And that's yeah. great. That's great. Well, we're going to dig into your backgrounds a little. We'll talk with each of you separately, but we had to have you together because this is a duet album. Mm -hmm. You have talked about uh, blues, rockabilly, country, gospel, all that stuff comes out of human experience. You want to play music that you feel is completely honest. Is there Excellent. some way that you that you define that, or do you just have to hear it and know it? My father giving me the eye that it's not uh, step back, drop down, back to back to just plain emotion and not don't put any extra on it. Mm. Was yeah. he a music guy? Yeah, uh, rudimentary, really um, pure uh, country blues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, but but at home, you know, mostly at home. Sounds a little like Jimmy Rogers when he sings, you know. Nice. Yeah, he's got that thing that. Uh, at that old time. Yeah, yeah. The industry, country kind of, and and it's, but some of that kind of has gone through cycles where it got a little bit slick. Yeah. A little bit shiny. Right. It comes and goes, doesn't it? Yeah, but it seems like it always comes back to where you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's always an appetite for that, you know. As as big as as these genres may get, and and as because you know that that expansion has to do with with accessing the lowest common denominator in <laughs> listening audience, and and uh -huh. that's bells and whistles, you know. That's uh -huh. just the way. That's just human nature, and but They're also human nature. They're making a lot of money off of it now. A lot of money yeah, off of right. the bells and whistles, yeah. right? But now. also, human nature is this desire for for uh, to 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 feel and to participate in honest emotional expression, and um, that'll never go out of style. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, because it because it reaches inside us. Right. That has nothing to do with 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 trying to make a hit record or or trying to make money off of what you're doing. It just has to do with 
you're hearing this from me because I have to get it out, you know. Because and... I'm thinking if you guys had been after money, you would have done an album together a long time ago. So, well, <laughs> <laughs> just because I know yeah. people won't love hearing you together, but what was it that you really kind of you you off, you had your own careers before you got together, and then you kept touring separately. So, what was the thing that finally said? Yeah, let's try this. Well, we were working, Levon, just when we both finished some kind of long-term projects, um, Levon called Larry up about a month after he finished with um, Dylan. With Bob Dylan, And I yeah. was just finishing up my Carter family, original Carter family project. Um, and then his daughter, Amy, called me up to join them. They were working on, starting work on Dirt Farmer and um, to work on the Rambles. And that threw us suddenly we weren't really living together for like 15 years we're just kind of like dating it felt because ships passing in the night really and then uh that experience threw us together and we were suddenly living eating sleeping working together not all day every day so we went from one experience all total different totally different um flip of the coin and working with levon is kind of what um what Levi we were Helms. doing, what we were doing under the my grandmother's tree with the locals down in Tennessee when we'd go home down there, um, we started. He needed Levi needed us to step up more in his show. Everybody in the band uh, would step up and do their own, um, have their own songs. Uh, he liked that ensemble feel, and so we were bringing some of the stuff we'd worked on before into that. And then people started shaming us because we didn't have a recording of some of it. I want the CD. I want the <laughs> CD. Well, I love uh, We read someone said, why don't you have a CD? Uh, maybe this was you. He said, my brother has a CD. My cat has a CD. Everyone can make a CD now. I don't <laughs> know which true. one of They were said. shaming yeah. us. Yeah, into- yeah, Teresa did, yeah. yeah. I want yeah. to ask you one more question because you have, I'm talking about keeping it real. And, you know, music, this kind of music reflects every kind of human emotion mm-hmm. from happy to to dealing with some really hard things you both have had lost some people very close to you uh and i'm wondering uh you've each lost a brother larry you lost your mother too and of course you've had friends like levon helms that you've lost to cancer and i wonder how that feels when something like that happens and you go on stage like always except i think you don't feel like the same person something has changed of course. Yeah. When, when you lose somebody, people say, well, time does help, but you always live with that hole in your heart and in your life, and you just learn to live around it. Well, I wonder if somebody who wasn't doing music that was connected authentically would get up at a moment like that and think, why am I even up here? What am I singing about? But I figure with what you're doing, you can get up and just feel that more. It, music, and I, it's so cliche, I, I hesitate to even say it, but it's... It's an undeniable truth. Music is the most healing thing you can do. You can wrap yourself up in, you know. Mm. And it's so many people have said that to me, and I've experienced it time and time again. When we sang at my mother's memorial service, Teresa and I did, and it was the most cathartic thing I could have done to get through that grieving. And and um, uh, and then. Uh, you know, after, after I lost my father, I was on tour, went right on tour with Bob Dylan. We had to go to Japan uh, right after we, we buried him. And, and, um, and I had this big hole in my heart. And I, and, um, but getting on stage every night was the sanctuary for, mm. for where um, 
you can you can channel that emotion, that grief you're feeling, and channel it in, in you, you, and, and getting it out in through your guitar or whatever instrument or your voice or whatever. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, 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 sounds of grief. You know, it sounds of joy or, or yeah. what. But it sounds it's 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 something that's coming from you and you're putting it out there. You know. It's it is it's a place of refuge and I just I'm just going to hit this for a second. Uh, I'm real. We both are a big advocate for music in the schools and I know in my home county in Tennessee, uh, the public schools don't have music and mm. it's such a place of refuge for kids and it, it will go with you your whole life. That place if you can play an instrument or some facet of music. If, not if you ever do anything with it professionally, but yeah. it's just such another it's such a resource and, yeah. a, and a resource for you for in times of trouble to go and filter those emotions through an instrument. It was for me growing up, and I think if we could save a few, maybe they could filter it through music instead of guns and all this stuff that's going on, you know. Amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let you work out a little bit more of whatever you personally need to work through. And we're going to hear a song right now. It's called You're Running Wild. It's by the Leuven Brothers. This actually, uh, when Larry was playing in Buddy Miller's band, he used to hear Buddy and his wife Julie sing this. And we read that you wrote, uh, Sunday I'm going to get me a pretty girl and sing this song. That's why I married Teresa. Yeah, and here we are. That's the Today's the day. Here we go.
You're running wild. We're listening to Larry Campbell and Teresa Williams. You can find information about them, their tour, their projects. It's all online at LarryAndTeresa.com. What a great website. That's pretty easy to remember. Uh, LarryAndTeresa.com. Yeah. <laughs> Larry is a three-time Grammy Award-winning producer, Lifetime Achievement Award recipient from the Americana Music Association. He's also been complimented as one of the most likable people on the planet. <laughs> wow. Now, we have to say, because we do a little research when we know you're yeah, coming I guess in, you do. we have never ever found someone that so many people said, oh, he's really good to work with. Wow, it's you... like everybody, everybody managed to work that in here. Wow. Uh, they complimented your talent, your work ethic, just likability. You should give lessons. Oh, you that's do real that. nice to hear. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So we uh, read from a cousin of yours. He says, I still see my grandmother Margaret looking me in the eye and pointing her finger with fiery Scottish pride, telling me about what made her most proud of her nephew. That's you. Yeah. As she liked to remind me, he never took a lesson. <laughs> now, you play so many instruments, pedal steel, banjo, fiddle, violin, the mandolin, guitar. Really? You never took a lesson? No. Well, that's not entirely true. I mean, I did... Um when I was first learning the fiddle, I, I spent um, about six weeks with this classical violinist trying to get bow, bow technique, uh -huh. down, you know, and, and um, so there was a little bit of that there. And, um, and then uh, when I was first playing guitar, I had learned, you know, a lot on my own, too. But I mm -hmm. did. There was a day camp nearby where I grew up in New York and, and um, a wonderful woman there named Paula. Um, uh, I'm sorry, her last name is escaping me now, but but we'd sit and play folk songs in her little guitar class there, you know. So you could call that lessons. Deep. So it's not <laughs> it's not a hundred percent true, but there were. Um, you probably had to throw your violin technique out the window anyway to yeah, do fiddle. Yeah, it's exactly true. But <laughs> but at least I learned how to hold the bow, you know. So. so did you just learn by by watching people, by listening to records? It, well, yeah. I mean, when I was first learning, it was you take take uh take a record and hopefully you have a record player that goes down to 16 on the on the turntable <laughs> and i would cut it the speed in half and then you just play it over and over and over again to keep dropping that needle on the passage you want because that would be an octave different right exactly so you could yeah. still be in tune. Yeah. oh that's yeah. great what yeah. a great what a great technique yeah. and i mean that that and then watching everybody and asking questions and and um and you know uh uh, uh and books and and um we, you know, I spent uh, days at the Donnell Public Library in New York where you could borrow records because I mm -hmm. couldn't really afford to bar buy a lot of them, you know, and, and, um, and I'd just pour through them and, and, and wear them out and bring them back, you know, in the month that I had to borrow them. You know? <laughs> and, oh, the groove's totally yeah, worn. Right. And, uh, well, I have to ask, uh, the Beatles, Yeah. you wouldn't be an obvious influence but that was a big deal. Yeah, I always say that I'm I'm of that generation, you know, of uh, there's uh, 20 million people maybe that saw that show on February 9th, 1964 and it was my experience as it was for many others was this was I mean in retrospect I see this. I didn't really even realize it at the time, but it was equivalent to the big bang, you know, where uh -huh. where there was this huge explosion um that opened this whole universe of music to 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 my ears that that had been there all along but but um uh 
having watching those guys do what they did at that point in my life um uh it was speaking speaking to me in a way that no other music had before then and um um uh I, it just put me on this path where I, I i needed to find out like i remember looking at one of their records and there's this song by chuck berry and i'm thinking well, who's Chuck Berry? So, so I went and found out who Chuck Berry was. That opened a whole other bunch of doors, you know. <laughs> then you find out about B.B. King, and that opens a whole bunch of other doors, you know. And then, then you find out about the old blues guys, Robert Johnson and, and Sunhouse and all these people all the way back. And, 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 then, and then, uh, then they do a song by Buck Owens. Well, who's Buck Owens, you know? And then that opens this whole world of country music. Bakersfield. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and I had already absorbed... Um, my mother's record collection was ridiculous, and she had, you know, when I was a kid, there were records by Hank Williams and Jimmy Rogers and the Carter family, and and um, and then I'm hearing Buck Owens, and that, and there's a direct line from that back to to those people, and and it, it's it's just this whole universe of music that expanded after, but that I was open to explore because of that catalytic event on. Um, so that made a big difference to you. Uh, how did your parents feel about that? They were nothing but supportive that's because yeah. some people saw that and thought it was scandalous right. i mean their hair was like four inches exactly. long exactly yeah well <laughs> the thing is my mother um my, my parents came they were sort of on the fringe of that um 1940s bohemian mm. movement in, in new york you know the poets and the artists and all that you know and they are they're um uh you know she had a uh Every record that Woody Guthrie cut and, and the Weavers and people like that, you know, and so Pete they were Siegel. cool with it. They well, yeah, were. they and they <laughs> they um, they were artistically inclined themselves, and they they were more what they, they saw that I had an interest in something that was going to keep me off the street, and um, they were all for it, you know. So. so one more question before we we head back to to more singing, but Hank Williams when he died had in his car some lyrics that yeah. were not done. You got to work on finishing one of those songs, You'll Never Again Be Mine. What did, what did that feel like, getting those, being uh, asked to was, work on that? I, I, um, I can't even describe it. That First of all, that there's a song that says, written by Hank Williams, Levon Helm, and Larry Campbell. I mean, okay, <laughs> okay, mission accomplished in my life, you know? Because <laughs> I was going to ask that. Both of you have been there for so many th events that if you talk about it, people would say, you were there, you <laughs> did that. It sounds like it's still important to you. Oh, you're, you're not, it's yeah. not passe. Oh, not nearly, no, no. It's, 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 uh, it's I, I just feel incredibly lucky to have had that opportunity in, in and um, you know Teresa does that song now. She does it. Um, Levon recorded it, and in our live shows, Teresa sings it and does a beautiful job with it. You know, so we're nice. trying to keep that one alive. Good. Well, we're going to hear another one, Samson yes. and Delilah. Oh here. yeah. Uh, the song that we just were talking about, "You'll Never Again Be Mine" with Levon Helm, is part of an album called "The Lost Notebooks of Hank Williams." You can check that out. Since Larry stopped touring with Bob Dylan's band, he still made guest appearances. Elvis Costello, Emmylou Harris, Phil Lesh, Roseanne Cash, Little Feet, the list goes on and on. But here are our guests today with Samson and Delilah. If I had my way 
the woman as a feeling stein. A Delilah, she climbed up on Samson's knee. Said, tell me where your strength lies, if you please. She spoke so kind, she talked so fair. Samson said, Delilah, you cut off my hair. You can shave my head as clean as your hand, and my strength will be Samson, all from his birth, he was the strongest man that ever lived on earth. One day while Samson was walking along, he looked down on the ground and saw no jawbone. He stretched out his arms and chains broke like thread. And when he got to moving, 10,000 boys dead. Oh, if I had my way, if I If I had my way, dear Lord, I would tear this old building down. Hey. Well, Samson and his line, they got an attack. Samson, he climbed up on the If I had my way, dear Lord, I would tear this old building down. Mm, if I had my way, if I had my way, if I had my way, dear Lord, I would tear this old building down. <laughs> Samson and Delilah. Teresa Williams and Larry Campbell. That's a workout. She's singing. She's, she's, she's working hard for the money that we're not paying. <laughs> <laughs> but you're all so nice. <laughs> oh, but we're loving it. Teresa Williams, you heard her. She's a powerhouse country, blues, gospel, and honky-tonk singer. She hails as one reviewer wrote from a speck on the map in West Tennessee. I love these names near Tipton County, known as Peckerwood Point, up the road from Lizard Lick, and not more than a mile from Blue Goose. That's right. Those are such great names. <laughs> Those are such great names. Tell us just a little bit about the hometown you grew up in. Well, it was Henderson County, and uh, we were kind of between the towns of Lexington and Henderson. And um, it's just cotton country. When I was growing up, we were cotton farmers. All the generations back had been cotton farmers. And they had their own land. Yeah, which nice. distinguished, distinguished us from, uh, you know, the sharecroppers. There was a lot of sharecropping. Mm. But, but we, the work was just as hard whether you owned it or not. You know, I guess they got that land when 
when the government took it from First Nation, probably. You mm. know, I, I don't know specifically, but the, the gravestones go that far back. Wow. So um, we're, yeah, and, and uh, you were mentioning earlier um, off mic, my uh, great-grandmother, whom I knew, um, her husband passed away before her last child was born and left her with three children and this one on the mm. way. And she um, pushed a plow with a mule while she was expecting and uh, managed to keep her farm. And they said in, in her years of dementia, she would uh, fret and say, oh, I hope I can keep my farm. I hope I don't lose my farm. So it's you know quite a, a story power, for me. Yeah, what a powerful impression. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, you're from some strong ladies. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. They let the men think they're in charge. <laughs> <laughs> There's a skill to that. There's a skill to that. Okay. Now, the very first chapter of Harry Potter is The Boy Who Lived. But you were known as the girl who sang. Yeah. Everybody I called you that. Was, yeah. So, do you remember when you first started, or did you just always? Just, it's like breathing. I ah. just took it for granted, I'm ashamed to say. Um, and my parents both sang, and um, they had me singing at church when I was four years old. It was the first public appearance, <laughs> and they had to stand me up on a thing to be seen. But, um, yeah, I realized really early that that special bond that happens between what you're delivering, hopefully, honestly, and the audience, uh, I just... That it was like my calling. Mm. It, it really was. So. so that was strange because for the folks around there, uh, from what I've seen from some interviews we've read, you know, if you would start to think, well, maybe I want to make it big, people would tend to sort of push you down and not let you well, get bigger than your britches. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, that bigger than don't get Too don't big, get above yeah. your raisin. There's actually a oh. book with that title, oh. which I own. I haven't read it quite yet. Um, yeah, don't get above your raisin. That that's kind of a mm. common saying, and uh, who does she think she is, kind of stuff. Huh. But they would secretly really be rooting for you. But it was so much that I would be ashamed to admit to anybody that I did want to pursue it because it seemed too grandiose of a pursuit for somebody like me. Meanwhile, it wasn't registering with me that people like Tina Turner grew up just you know within an hour of me. Uh, the Tennessee Plowboy Eddie Arnold grew up within 30 minutes from me. Rockabilly started within 40 minutes of me. Uh, Elvis was a, from a cotton-picking family down in Tupelo. We had relatives down there. So who could say people from around here don't do this? Yeah, exactly. But I was so I just didn't re it didn't register that you know at mm. that age I just didn't know. And anybody if if you wrote your own song, I I wouldn't have considered that. I would have thought that would be called a made-up song. That mm. wouldn't be a real song. <laughs> a made-up song. <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully I was really young when I had that notion. Tell, tell me about seeing <laughs> Tina Turner and what you thought. When I saw her on TV, yeah, I time. was just... Because what we had on the radio, we had a lot of country, and my parents, my daddy played um, country and country blues, and my mother was practicing classical, trying to learn piano on mm -hmm. her own with a home music course. Mm -hmm. And she would teach me, like she would learn ahead in the course and then teach me and my brother after that. Um she didn't really like country, but she liked stuff like Connie Francis and mm. yeah, so uh, Patty Page, that kind of stuff. Lipstick on your collar mm -hmm. and some of those. Little, yeah. little Miss Brenda Lee, <laughs> and um, uh, but for me, uh, I'm totally losing my train of thought, going wandering down this road what, here. Just seeing Tina on, on yeah, TV seeing Tina, but we had uh, top forty um, coming out of Memphis, and at night we could get 
WLS out of Chicago. It, for some reason, they up um, the, at be, night, sometimes we could get it. Must be the AM. So, uh, and they would have um, um, uh, a lot of new kind of alt artists at that time. Uh, so I got some stuff like that, and we did get to watch a little television. We, we didn't get to watch a lot, and that's when I saw Tina, and I would see Gladys Knight on uh, Dave, the Dick Clark show and stuff like that. <laughs> And, but we were at church on Sunday night, so we didn't get to see um, the Ed Sullivan show, except I was home with the measles when the Beatles did. <laughs> and my grandparents, my parents were not, and my grandparents were not like on the Bohemian fringe. They were very conservative and, you know, yeah. conformist sort of. And my grandmother called me in to say, come see these long-haired boys. That's how I got to see the Beatles. Um, Thanks to the measles. Tina Turner I was just like, yeah, wow. <laughs> but I think it's a little, she was pretty scary for a lot of the parents. But still, it just, it just, it, it showed a different level of um, expressing yourself, yeah. just a whole other level. And my brother and I would listen to like the black churches on Sunday morning. We'd be sitting in the car waiting for my parents. And we'd turn the radio dial over to the black preachers and the black churches. And we would just be like, yeah. And daddy would come in, turn that off. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you mentioned singing in church as a little girl, but did you sing some of the revivals, those kind of things well, as you the, got older? The revivals were a big deal. Um, they'd have brush harbor meetings and um, all the churches had revivals, and my mother would go to where she grew up and take us to that revival, and then where her father grew up and take us to that revival, and where her mother grew up. So yeah, that was, and the, they would just throw their heads back and sing, and it was before air conditioning, and the windows would be wide open, yeah. the church would be packed, and we didn't have all the entertainment that we have now, so it was an event, it was a real event, and the homecoming days and decoration days, I don't know if you guys know about that, but... Um, those were big events, and they would have all-day singing and dinner on the ground after church, wow. you know, like picnics, you know, uh -huh. literally on the ground. Uh, those were major Southern events for us, and a lot of music. And they had music schools where a person came around and taught. You, uh, I, rem I, ha I actually had one myself. We didn't have music at school, but the churches, you got a lot at the church. At church. Nice. Yeah. So from that environment, and then the place to go, if it wasn't Nashville, was New York. But nobody was happy about well, you headed there, were they? That was total. I never dreamed of going to New York. I didn't really understand or know about Broadway. I don't think, um, uh, or you know, the stuff that most kids would say about the. Uh, but an advisor in high school knew what I wanted to do, and she said, "You're going to have to go to." But, and because I wanted to do acting as well, um, I took the music for granted. But I was going to go to school to study acting and she said you'll have to go to Chicago or New York and I said well I don't want to go there she said well you kind of have to and I got my brain around that but yeah daddy said I'd rather be caught dead than be caught in New York City but then they came around because you know they want to support their daughter I bet yeah. I bet well let's hear some more music we're going to hear one that Larry wrote this is called did you love me at all it's a, a mournful ballad that uh, Buddy Miller said sounds like it sounds like it could have been sung on the Grand Old Opry by the Leuven Brothers got that kind of timeless melody. Larry Campbell and Teresa Williams.
Did You Love Me At All? Great song by Larry Campbell. Larry Campbell and Teresa Williams in Studio 6 today at BYU Broadcasting. Coming to you live, they're doing the singing, they're playing the guitars, and they're doing all the talking, too, or making you talk a little bit. Uh, you can check them online at LarryAndTeresa.com to find out touring and other information. And their album together, self-titled, is sort of a catalog, one person said, of everything they've learned in years of playing 20th century roots music. Sounds nice. That's cool. <laughs> so I have to ask you one more sort of New York country question, Larry. Uh, back, back in the kind of post-urban cowboy era, you remembered uh, in, in one interview, popular country fashion of the day is both beauty and horror. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> so good, yes. What was that fashion? Well, you know, uh, so... so Country music became fashion in New York during that era, in the late 70s into the early 80s. The, the horror of it was that it was so ubiquitous and so um, uh, commercialized, you know, mm -hmm. and, 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 um, and it, you know, it, it, the wrong people were wearing cowboy hats for all the wrong <laughs> reasons, you know, and, 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 um, uh, and that, that was a little hard to take, but the beauty of it was that it, it awakened a lot of the right people to the value of real country music, you know, of um, when you, um, it, it, it inspired a lot of people, a lot of musically inclined people to dig deeper than this facade of, of that uh, fashion and, and, um, and and really get an appreciation for where this music started and came from and, and why it is what it is, you know. And, and, and the, another part of the beauty side, as far as I'm concerned, was there was a lot of work for a guy like me <laughs> <laughs> during that era, you know, in, in the studios and, in, and live mm -hmm. and, and um, some movies too, you know. I'd, uh, yeah. uh, we did a, uh, I was playing in a band that was in a Peter Bagdanovich movie called They All Laughed and, and that was, made at, at 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 the height of that fashion where um, this couple goes to a bar and of course there's a country band there because that's what was happening in New York at the time you know and and, uh, and, and, and a you few were in films. the country band yeah right nice. I was in the country playing band. yourself as yeah, a country yeah, musician I guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> Teresa is it inter interesting to you that so much music that came from that area kind of in the south just how it captured everybody's hearts, not throughout the U.S., but even worldwide. Well, it's going so strong right now. I mean, the the music festival, the country music festivals, they'll have like the regular festival, and then a week later up around us, they have the country festival, and it is massive. Mm. But I think this is the only reason Larry really married me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like from the real McCoy. All these people that he named off, he to... you know, were from the area that I grew up in. I think that's the only only reason he married. Yeah, let's just call it a big part of the attraction. <laughs> okay, you had to marry into the authenticity. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> and so you can say, "Well, my mother-in-law is from <laughs> such and such a place." <laughs> so now touring together because you've done so much through the years, lots of uh, really living on the road, not just uh, you know a little outing here and there, but really living for months and months, even years at a time. But now doing it together, it's great. It's it is. Great. It is great. It's great. I'm just standing there doing that song just now. We've done it a hundred thousand times together. 
I still get the same thrill out of hearing her sing it, singing it with her, and, and, and performing this together. You know, it's, it's so satisfying on so many levels, it's just impossible to describe. That's nice. We kind of do the nice. best when yeah. we're working together, I think. Too. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. If I had a hat, I would take it off now and put it over my heart. That was, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> so... It worked out pretty well that you sound good together, too. That was not a, a bad well, part of the deal. Well, well the day we met, we, we were playing together. That's how we met. And, and all the stuff you were saying about the, the country in New York, I didn't think anybody in New York, this was how prejudiced I was, would be, could be inside the music. Mm. They might play it, but to be inside it. And he was. I didn't really see him. I The first time I we, we were playing together, I was so nervous about what I was doing. I had the mic and singing and and I realized this guy on pedal steel was saving my life and he was re the real deal and it was gonna be okay. And I just remember thinking, how, why pedal steel and you're from East 64th Street? <laughs> <laughs> so he's kind of told you how and why, but I was grateful. I wanna ask about the Midnight Rambles before we head to the next, the next thing. This is uh, Woodstock, New York. We're not talking about the famous festival, but we're talking about a barn there. We mentioned uh, Lee Van Helm, who was a musical uh, compadre. Icon, yeah. But just, really yeah. became kind of family to you folks. Oh, yeah. So what were the Midnight Rambles, and what were these concert series that you played in and, and performed together in? You want to? Well, if you watch uh, The Last Waltz, uh, this is where uh, the, the first record of, of Levon publicly talking about this notion of the Midnight Ramble, which is... Um, uh, you know, when he was a kid, they'd have these tent shows, entertainment shows come in, and then all the family would go home, and then a after 8 o'clock at night till midnight, they'd have the what he'd call the hoochie-coochie show. And the music, you know, the blues bands would come in and play, and, and, um, and it would just get a little wilder for the adults, mm -hmm. and, and that was called the Midnight Ramble with these tent shows. So Levon's always had in the back of his head that he wanted to stay in Woodstock and have the people come to him and 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 um, uh, uh, and set up these his own version of the Midnight Ramble which was you know without the hoochie coochie girls but, but it was a family Midnight Rambles were very family oriented the kids would be sleeping on pallets at his feet yeah True. yeah and and, um, and the dogs and and it 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 you know it blossomed into this uh, utopian, as Teresa calls it, music experience where yeah. everybody came to play music for the right reason, which is just for the joy of playing music. And then the audience came for the right reason because they wanted to hear some good music. And then, and it, and it became, there was no separation between the band and the audience. We were all in this together. It was an event. It was, uh, many people compared it to going to church where it, you're just, you're all uh, uh, having this common experience that, um, that lifts you up. It just lifts you up. And, and, um, it really reminded me of the revivals when I was growing up because the windows would be flung open and there would be a lot of people milling outside, but the inside was totally packed and steamy. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, 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 was, it was a great experience for the audience and the musicians. Well, this, this last song we get to hear, this could be at a, a meeting like that. Tell, tell me about this song. This is another one from Reverend Gary Davis. Yeah. Um, Larry produced a record on Marie Knight, the uh, gospel singer who used to play with Sister Rosetta Tharp. And it was a record of Reverend Gary uh, Davis songs. 
and she was supposed we play with Yorma Kalkinen and Jack Casty a lot and we were Larry was going out there to do a concert with Marie and to teach out there and she became ill and Yorma called and asked if I would pinch hit and I immediately said yes and uh, because it's Yorma and then realized what I'd gotten myself into they're expecting an elderly revered black gospel singer and they're getting chirpy little white girl <laughs> but you know it I started digging into Reverend Gary and it's, it was not that different it was it was the mm. black version of the white churches I grew up with it was really the same the only difference was the color very 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 similar so I was not as freaked out and I was like oh I know this and went down into that so I, lo I love it I truly love it and if I need inspiration I'll go back and listen to Reverend Gary sermons and mm. take uh, CDs, yeah. This seems like a, a nice one to end with. I'm so glad you're going to do this one. We'll have you head over uh, to right. the mics. Thanks. This Steve. is Keep Your Lamp Trimmed and Burning, a traditional gospel blues song built around the parable of the wise and foolish virgins in the New Testament. Coming to you live on Highway 89.
Keep your lamp trimmed and burdened. That's Larry Campbell, Teresa Williams, live right just right now in studio. More information about all of their concerts, their albums online at LarryandTeresa.com. We cannot thank you enough. This has been so great. We'd love to have more hours to hear you and more hours of story, but we're just going to be grateful we got what we got. Thank you. If you're listening at home, you just caught part of the show, you want to hear the first part or share it, easy to do. All of our shows are archived online for free on-demand listening at byuradio.org slash highway89. Follow us on Twitter at BYUH89 for live show updates, special behind-the-scenes photos and video clips. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. Our recording engineer is Mark Waite, our film assistant, Abby Horlocker, and the show's producer is Jackie Tataishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening.